Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, and welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Lachlan, Senior Analyst at Locology. Today, I'm joined by David Shim, a name no doubt familiar to many in our audience from his days at Foursquare and Placed. Now, David is co-founder and CEO of Read AI, which since inside a space we've dubbed remote tech, which is loosely the stack of software that emerged from the pandemic to make online meetings better. David, welcome to This Week in Local. No, thanks for having me, Charles. Appreciate it. Okay, it's great to have you. Actually, we've wanted you on for a while to talk about this. Uh, it's kind of an area I've taken some of, somewhat of an interest in. Now, we throw this label of remote tech on. Um, you know, there's a few entrepreneurs out there kind of building around this notion of making online meetings better. What do you think the opportunity was and where kind of give us the origin story of Read AI? Yeah, the opportunity, I think, is we haven't had a long time to actually learn how to communicate in a world where video conferencing is what, how we meet first. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, is thousands of years, uh, we've been meeting in person, having conversations, scheduling meetings, being able to see each other face to face and react to the things that are being said. We've had hundreds of years when it's on the phone where we're talking with one another and you start to pick up different things like there's a gap in the conversation, there's a tape delay. When it comes to video conferencing, COVID is what really drove that adoption. Uh, that had that hockey stick movement. And a lot of people haven't been taught best practices. A lot of people haven't been taught, this is how you react when someone reacts like this uh, 10,000 miles away on a video camera. And I think those right. things are learned through time and experience. And I think the technology really was able to step up and fill in that gap during that time to educate the market. Okay. So, uh, you know, AI is in your name. We'll get to that because that's obviously significant here. But um, what, I've, what I've sort of observed is that online meetings are sort of turning into a data resource uh, yes. for companies to use to do meetings better. Could you talk about how you think about that notion of meetings as a data resource? Yeah. So let's say you're a product manager and you're interviewing people uh, on Zoom, on WebEx, on Teams, on Google Meet, and you're having these interviews and you're taking the notes as you go. Uh, in the old days, you'd take the notes, you, maybe you would record it, you'd look back at the transcript, and then you'd kind of summarize it, determine next steps, et cetera. All those things are automated now, where the transcript yeah. is automated, the actual summarization is automated. Uh, Reed does something a little bit different where we look at the reactions of the people when someone else was speaking. We'll kind of put that into that layer, and we call that the narration layer. But we'll create the summaries, we'll create the action items, uh, we'll create the key questions. So those are all great to have. But what's interesting is as people start to get to more sharing, where organizations start to adopt this type of technology at scale, you can start to share those reports with one another. You can start to automate that sharing. And that's where that value proposition is, where if you think about it, you might drop in all the client interviews into a Google Drive, and you might have five other product managers doing customer interviews. Well, now, if a question comes up and one product manager isn't able to answer it, they would have had to look through all these files, these docs, AI now lets you go in and actually immediately answer that question. So if a customer wanted to know what the roadmap is for a new feature, the product manager on the call might not have the answer in that moment, but the AI can actually go in and say, hey, 
uh, on Carol's call, we found that she actually answered this question and the audience or the participant was actually reacted positively to it. Let's move that up and let's give that nudge to say, hey, for this meeting, for this conversation, for this question, here's the suggested answer. So now you're able to pull kind of the wisdom of crowds at the end of the day, where you're able to pull from all of the other product managers to answer questions. Uh, another big win is really around action items. So you and I are yeah. talking right now. We could say, hey, let's schedule a follow-up meeting for next week uh, and let's invite these three people and I'll send you this document. Well, you'll have those action items listed, but as we have follow-up meetings, those action items can get checked off automatically. So now you don't yeah. have to and say, hey, what do I have to deliver? But it's actually going in and saying, what do I have to deliver what's been delivered and what's open? And I think those things are really where people are starting to share at an incredibly high level with the meeting reports that we generate at yeah. So uh, the word accountability comes to mind a lot around this notion of using AI to make meetings again, do all the things you just described and, and several others we haven't gotten to. Now, is did you kind of go into this thinking that this is going to make increase accountability, you know, for online? Because it seems like it really can, because, again, you're capturing commitments and you're codifying them, essentially. And uh those commitments are going to be followed up on and adhered to much more, or potentially at least, much more closely. Because I think that, that people often thought of meetings as we say a lot of stuff and then no one follows up, no one holds anyone to account. <laughs> and uh, now that's kind of that's kind of done, isn't it? No, it, it is. And I, I think inefficient meetings are going to be less and less of a common occurrence versus right now, I would argue, it's still kind of the norm where... If you have uh -huh. a meeting, you're going to add more people to that meeting because it's so easy right. to do. All you have to do is type in someone's name, they're invited, and you kind of check the box off in your mind where it's like, I don't need to give them an update because I've invited them to a meeting. Because they're on the meeting. They can figure it out yeah. themselves. Yeah. Versus I think when <laughs> whether they do or not is another matter, right? Now, exactly. now it's all like there, right? And you can just sort of say, I, you, know, you tell me, but it seems like uh, if Bob commits to five things, Bob kind of knows it's it's been captured, you know, and it's not in somebody's notebook that won't, you know, or it just in the ether. Um, it's been captured and there's going, and Bob has to do those five things now, you know? hundred uh, percent. Okay. Which Bob, is great. Yeah. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so I think with Bob, that example of Bob, Bob will have five things he has to do, but the AI can actually go in and see that in Stephen's meeting and in Sally's meeting, these two things were already been delivered. That's on the same subject. And it will yeah. go in and recommend, hey, Bob, I can knock these two things off of your action item list. Here's the answer. Here's the deliverable. Okay. Do you want to use these? And I think that's kind of like it's accountability, but it's also someone helping you and saying, let me take two of these yeah. things off. Your accountability offset by some efficiency and some uh, elimination of duplicated tasks and that sort of exactly. thing. OK, which is gets to an interesting thing. You guys recently issued an update um, where you're feeding data from all of the meetings you're, I mean, correct me if I'm reading this wrong or if I'm summarizing this wrong. Collecting data from all of the meetings that you're tracking across across organizations, right? And creating a uh, basically a copilot, AI copilot that kind of feeds all, kind of the same way that LLMs are scraping the internet for, for information. You're scraping me. I mean, just, is that a fair way to describe it? And kind of talk about what that means and how that evolves this. Yeah. So we started with this concept called for you. And what it did was uh -huh. it looked across all of your meetings and it said, 
are there constant themes that come up in those meetings? So rather than looking at your meeting reports as individual kind of islands, look at it more of as an archipelago where what are the th meetings that are connected with one another? And then aggregate the summaries, aggregate the action items, aggregate the next steps. And that's a little bit different from the LLMs where the LLMs are really limited by the amount of tokens that you use. So tokens translates to the amount of text that comes in. We're going yeah. across, you know, 50 meetings in a lot of cases for a single topic. And we're able to summarize how that topic is moving, how it's progressing. And each meeting on average generates about 17 to 18 pages of transcription. So if you think about that and it's like 50 meetings, you're talking about a thousand pages that no kind of LLM today can actually process on its own because it's too big of a data set. Uh, versus mm -hmm. on our side, we've built models specifically designed for meetings where you're able to pull out the topics, those key action items, and then aggregate those. And we call it uh, a variation of LLMs, which is large meeting models. So it's really focused <laughs> in on the meeting versus the language. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, I kind of want to step back a little bit to sort of what you were kind of what the original Read AI was doing. And one of the things, and again, correct me, but one of the things I thought was interesting was that it's not just reading kind of the words that are spoken, but also other signals from, and you tell me, what other signals were you capturing in terms of, you know, who's speaking, who's not speaking, who's speaking more, who's speaking less? And I kind of, I think on one podcast, Mike and I were, my, my co-host Mike Bolin and I were talking about this notion, and we kind of talked about the idea of it as almost like an EKG of a meeting, you know, where you're monitoring kind of the health of the meeting uh, throughout the meeting. Could you talk about, am I right, right or wrong? Could you talk about that a little bit of kind of what you were inferring from other signals that were nonverbal? Yeah. So the verbal side, you take it in, you create, uh, you run it through a different number of different models. Uh, natural language processing or NLP is kind of the common when you take into account the text. Right. Uh, but what we did that is different and still different in market is we look at how people reacted. So th this again is the difference between video conferencing versus uh, a conference call. A conference call is just the voices going back and forth. Right. You process that. With a video conference, you have that video element that comes into play, not just for the speaker, but for the other people on the call and how they're reacting. So if you and I are talking right now, or if, let's say you're talking and I start looking away, I start looking at my phone, I start texting, I start going like this and scanning the room, yeah, yeah. I go on mute, I start talking to somebody else, but I'm not actually registering any sound. All of those things play a role in our engagement model to go in and say, based on the words that are being said, how does somebody else respond to that? How do they engage with that? And that's actually really changed the way that we generate the summaries, the action items, the key questions. Because if nobody cares about a specific topic, but it goes on for 10 minutes, the traditional mm -hmm. large language model will go in and say, 10 minutes is a long time to be talking about this topic. Let's move this up in the list. Let's make this an important topic versus we'll go in and say, hey, a lot of content, but nobody cared. We're going to move this down. Yeah, the list. No engagement, a lot of content, no engagement, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you're measuring engagement with, uh, you, it's sort of like you can tell if they're leaning in or leaning back or, you know multitasking or fully uh, present in that conversation, right? Correct, correct. And yeah. you might ask, some people will go in and say, hey, what if they pretend that they're paying attention? Well, at a certain point, if you pretend long enough, you're going to be doing it. So from sure, our standpoint, sure. it's actually a good thing to have this metric in because if you're pretending to pay attention, should you even really be in this meeting is the question that you should right. ask yourself. And the answer is probably no. Which was my follow-up, which is... Has this changed? Have you observed this changing behavior in meetings? Yes. So 
we're seeing fewer and fewer people going to meetings. We're seeing smaller meetings, especially within organizations that adopt read across the board. Because what they'll start mm-hmm. to identify is, okay, this meeting had a really low engagement score. And look, half of these people are below a 70 from an engagement perspective. Let me give them back their time. And what Reed has started to do is we have started to give recommendations to the meeting host to say, hey, here's six people that you should probably take off the list because they're not as engaged or they've seen a decline week over week. And it's not to say that they did anything wrong. It's just going in and saying, like, give them back their time. You don't need 15 people on this call. I was going to say, does that get back to the accountability question that I was raising earlier? You know, Bob committed to five things. Bob also was multitasking a little bit much in that meeting. I mean, is there a, a... I guess an organizational, I guess it depends on an organizational culture. I get your point about don't punish them, give them their time back, let them go do something else more productive. Fair point. But is there an accountability risk depending on the culture of the organization? Uh, I think each organization has its own culture. The way that we've designed the reports where uh, where we create kind of the organizational, the team, uh, the tagging when it comes to aggregating Mm -hmm. those reports, it requires the user to share the report. So we're not going in and saying, hey, we've got everyone's reports and we're going to create this aggregate insight. Uh, We actually limit it to the meetings that you have access to. So it's more uh, in line with kind of like an ad campaign that you might do. And a lot of kind of the people on this call and this podcast listening in will understand like you run media across multiple different kind of publishers, categories, inventory. Well, you you are running your tags on those things and you can dedupe and you can see what is performing and what's not performing and you can start to optimize. And the goal here Mm -hmm. is that people want to share those reports because the more reports you share, the smarter the model gets, the faster you get your job job done. Okay. All right. So let's talk about a a couple of uh, other things. One, One thing I've observed, again, you know, we don't have to talk about all the other companies in this space, but I've noticed that there's sort of this binary path, either you sort of attack Zoom or you embrace Zoom, you know, when you're kind of coming into the online meeting space, you've taken more of the embrace approach from what I've observed, correct me if I'm wrong. Talk about that a little, kind of how you approached Zoom as kind of the the OG in this space uh, and um, how you thought about Zoom coming into this and how you're thinking about Zoom has evolved and how you can talk a little bit about what you do with Zoom. Yeah, so Zoom, they've been an early and great partner of ours. Um, We were one of the first apps in their app store when they launched about two years ago. A year ago, they Mm -hmm. launched a program called Essential Apps where they gave premium features to their pro users or their online users that paid for an account. And we were able to give them more features from Reed specifically along with 10 other apps. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of a strategic decision for us. One is there are players in the space that do summarization, Uh, They either do it through a bot that joins the call or they do it with software on the computer. And for us, we wanted to play with the platforms directly. We wanted to be communicating with them on what we're doing, how we're doing it, making sure we're doing best practices when it comes to notifications, privacy policies, opt out, et cetera, uh, because we think it's a big market. And at the end of the day, if you don't work with these platforms, at a certain point, you might lose access. You might not get preferred treatment. You might not be Mm -hmm. able to build certain features over the long term versus we've started from day one and we said, this is what we do. What's, what, what do you, what do you want us to do? What's the best way to work with zoom? And then we've kind of mm-hmm. taken that to the next level with partners like Google meet where we've gone in and we've said, Hey, Google meet is launching an add on platform for their apps. And we've actually gone in and said, Hey, we'd love to be a part of this platform. Here's what we're doing with zoom. Uh, is there an opportunity? And we were one of the first six apps to launch in their add on store. 
for Google Meet. And so again, the goal here is we think the market is incredibly large and you, it's a better play to work directly with the platforms versus trying to work around them. So you just said something that uh, brings a question to mind. You said this is an incredibly huge, uh, how do you quantify your opportunity? You know, what, what is your addressable market? How do you How do you quantify what you're going after? Yeah, for us, it really is, we started as the system of record for meetings. So if you have a meeting, Uh you want read on it because one, we can measure it. And then two, we can give you direction on how to make that better, more efficient, shorter, uh, follow-ups, action items, all those things we're able to do uh, over time. And that's a huge market on itself. Uh, Where we see the bigger opportunity is across meetings. We're able to join across meetings. And what we believe is the longer term play is across different platforms, not just video conferencing, but things like messaging, Slack, project management, all of those solutions and bringing those all together from a form of productivity AI, where you're really focused in around meetings are a core component, but how do you bridge out and how do you go in and say, you and I talk about a project, I say I'm gonna send you a PDF after the call, Uh, I wanna send that email out and I send that PDF, that action item should be checked off the list after I send that email out. So making sure you connect the dots. So you just said productivity AI, which I, I've seen that phrase used or that label used by you previously. Could you talk about what I mean, what I'm getting from that is that it's not just online meetings; it's every kind of communication that goes on in the workplace uh, using AI to make that better. Could you expand on that idea a little bit more on what it is and what it could be and what it will be, yeah. in your opinion. Yeah. So I think people talk a lot about like personal CRM. Think of this right. as a, it's a knowledge worker CRM and it's just sitting next to you and it's going in and saying, hey, I'll take meet notes during the meeting, action items, follow ups. I'll ping the people that need to be pinged after the call. And I can do that maybe via email or I might do it off of messaging. And there might be conversations that go across each platform and deliverables start to be generated. Well, I can start to check those deliverables off based on that meeting that we had. Uh, then I can go in and start to understand like, hey, maybe we should have a follow-up meeting. And the AI gives a nudge to go in and say, maybe these two people should actually connect because this is next steps in that project. Hey, I should actually take all the customer interviews that I've done and actually create a product requirement stock. And so now I can use the AI to go in and say, here are the meetings that I had with customers. The AI can go in and say, hey, we've got enough data now that we think we can actually create a product requirement stock. Is this something you want? And it becomes almost like Tinder where you say, swipe right for yes, swipe left for no. Kind of the same thing where AI is going in and saying, hey, do you need this? Because it looks like you do. And you swipe right, all of a sudden, hey, here's an outline for a product requirement stack. Or here's an outline for a quarterly business review based on timing, based on what we've seen in those conversations. So again, it really is co-pilot for the knowledge worker versus uh, anything else. Okay, so... Could you talk a little bit about how Reed is doing? And I don't know how you quantify that. Uh, usually we ask for sort of, you know, metrics for giving a sense of your scale or your, how you've, you know, how, that could be customer's revenue, anything, anything you can share in terms of, you know, from start to now, how, how is Reed doing? Yeah, um, uh, and- so we've been, grow- we've been growing on average since the start of the year, uh, 10% week over week when it comes to the amount of meetings that we've measured. So we continue mm-hmm. to hit new highs. We continue to see adoption across the major platforms uh, with the recent launch that we did with the For You, uh, with the question and answer, with the personalized podcast. We're seeing more adoption occur there. Um, 
so I would say we're, we're one of the bigger players in the space. I can't speak to other players, but uh, we feel pretty comfortable in saying we're one of the biggest players in the space today. Okay. And the space is still, I, from my observation, is still pretty small. I mean, in terms of number of players, I mean, how do you look at it? I mean, do you, would you agree with that or do you think it's uh, going to get bigger? I mean, do you think more players are going to come in? Just talk about the competitive environment and how you think it's going to evolve say in the near the next couple of years. Yeah. I think there's a lot of players in the space that do transcription and they run it through chat GPT. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah. I think that is kind of like table stakes. There's probably, I want to say there's probably like 50 plus companies that do some variation of that. Um, okay. I don't necessarily see them as direct competitors. I think some of them have smaller kind of roadmaps on what they want to do uh, and they're not thinking bigger picture, but there are bigger players in the space as well. I think where it starts to get really interesting is Who's going to be the winner when it comes to cross-platform? So not just cross-platform across the different video conferencing solutions, but different platforms where it's CRM, where it's sales, where it's customer relationship management, where it's uh, employee management, where it's employee service. All those things, the more that you can bring in together, you can build something along the lines of the trade desk for productivity. The more okay. kind of if you're an open player to bring all those data sources in, you can actually start to optimize cross-platform, cross-channel, et cetera. And I think that's where the opportunity really exists long-term. And you see that with folks like uh, Microsoft and Copilot. Uh, they're great partners of ours, but they also have a Copilot solution. Uh, you've got Zoom that has companion AI. You've got Google that has Duet. So everyone's kind of going in that space. And I actually like it, going back to the old school location days in Locology when we first met, uh, it really is, you know, when I was at Place, education was the hardest thing at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get your location data? How do you know a store visit occurred? Is this even possible? This seems like black magic. What are you doing here? To yeah, right yeah. now, everyone understands what AI does. And the fact that these platforms are introducing people on day one to say, hey, here's what we've got. We've got Microsoft Works. If, you, if anybody remembers Microsoft Works, it was that kind of Microsoft yeah. Office, but it was about 50 to 60% cheaper. Yeah, that's a great I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I totally yeah, yeah. remember that. And it's a great solution because it lets people learn what this can do. And then 50% of the people might be like, hey, this is a good solution. It does what I need for the moment. I don't need more than that. But the other 50% yeah. will go in and say, what else can I do? What else is possible? And they'll start to explore the market. And that's where we're seeing increased demand with each time that one of our platform partners launches kind of an AI service we see more traffic. Like I can tell you, I can't tell you the specific partner, but one launched in September. We looked at the numbers from September when they launched to where we are today. We see 50% more meetings than we did previously. Another platform launched something where we see 100% more meetings in three months alone. So I think yeah. that is reinforcing our belief that they're helping us educate the market. So I guess my thought coming into this conversation was that one of your biggest risks is the big platforms doing native solutions. Are you saying that that is not a risk to you? I think it's a, it's always a risk, but at the end of the day, the yeah. market is so big at this point. Um, I think there uh -huh. was a study that came out. There's two studies that said anywhere from 90 to 99% of people who use AI have said it makes them more productive. And so right. from right. that standpoint, that's going in and saying 100% of people almost that use AI in some form are getting more productivity. And that's the metric I think that's the market opportunity. But mm -hmm. where do you go? Where do I realize that you can actually get summarization that's even possible to do? I'm okay if someone introduces that. In the same way, like YouTube introduced people to video and short form video. 
Then you have spinoffs yeah. of like TikTok. You've got other video platforms across the board. And I think- But not a ton. I mean, TikTok is its own thing, you know? TikTok is I mean, I mean, it's a, I mean, okay. So if Zoom does what you do, but does it natively inside the platform, that is not a game changer for you. It's not a game changer. It is actually something like we would love to figure out, are there opportunities mm-hmm. to work even closer together? Are there okay. differences where they can do the handoff? Um, because we're about meetings, we're about productivity and Zoom is kind of in that same space, but they also are strong believers in the ecosystem. They have a platform mm-hmm. that has hundreds of millions of hours of meetings every single day where they've launched an app store where they want these apps to be kind of that next Apple app store, that next Android app store. And I think platforms like us or solutions like us enable that to happen. Okay. So my next question is related and that is how do investors look at the space that you're in? Are they excited about it? Is it a tough, I don't know if you need to raise or if you're trying to raise, you may want not want to answer that. I don't know, but I'm just wondering how, what is the reception you're getting from the investor world? And I know it's been a tough year all around, but yeah, putting that aside, if you can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from an investor standpoint, uh, we get probably half a dozen pings on a weekly basis from different uh, VCs, associates, uh, strategic funds, because mm-hmm. um, they want they want to be in the space. They want to understand what the space looks like. They think there's a big opportunity. Um, do they think there's going to be 100 winners in what we do? No. There's going to be one or two winners, just like with any other okay. sector. Because this has uh, been a self-funded space to this point, largely, hasn't it? I mean, it, correct it, me, it's, please. You know, there's been VC money in the seed, Series A, Series B. I think the C is kind of that next level that you'll start to see a little bit more activity, probably in the next six to 12 months, where uh, okay. companies will start to announce funded, funding. Um, but I, okay. I will say like, where I see the space going right now is I talked about there's 50 to 100 kind of people that are just, you know, taking the transcript, running through chat GPT, and they've got a basic solution. I think you'll see a shakeout in that space specifically, and you'll run into what people call uh, wrapper companies. Uh, and these are companies where within a weekend you can go in and take one product or one solution or API, get a transcript, run it through Ch- up GPT, Llama, or something else, and actually get a summary, and then you start to productionize it. Those will have a little bit of traction, but those will ultimately die off because there is no moat around what they do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So I want to shift kind of wrapping up a little bit. First question is sort of what's in your, that you can tell me on your near-term roadmap, uh, what's sort of the next evolution of Read AI? We'll start there. Yeah. Uh, Next evolution. uh, One is we just launched a podcast based on your previous day's meetings. Uh, we're yeah, I, I was curious about that, actually, because yeah. it's like, you used to call it a personal podcast. Is that right? Personal or podcast. Whatever. So it is, it is Explain what that is, because I haven't I haven't experienced this firsthand. So give us so a sense of what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say you have 10 meetings over the last couple of days. Uh, what we'll do is when there's been enough of meet, enough meetings, we'll actually run that data. We'll create a summary of your last 24 or 48 hours and we'll say, hey, Here's a recap of what you did. Here's some deliverables that you've got upcoming. And then here's some meetings that are on your schedule. So we're actually customizing that summary, but then we're actually creating a unique audio file that you can play. And what we're finding is people are starting to play this in their morning community. So it's like a great, it's like um, the greatest hits of the last couple, last few days of meetings or yeah, uh, is it actual, is it extracted from the actual meetings or is it like a voice simulator, like narration kind of a thing. I- uh, it's a narration. So it's actual someone's voice. Okay. It's a computerized voice that's very natural sounding okay. that is giving it to okay. you. So 
the best way to describe it, it's almost like listening to Marketplace. If you ever listen to NPR Marketplace. I think <laughs> no, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Got it. So Except about your company. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All right. All right. What we're excited about is uh, it's about porting your data into different places, like I talked about, where it's like the trade desk. So if I know when your best times to have meetings are, if I know when your worst times are, uh, when I know when you're going to be late to a meeting because that other meeting goes over, we can use that data for very simple things like scheduling. So what we've launched mm-hmm. is a scheduling product. We call it Smart Scheduler, where you can send a link to someone and say, hey, let's schedule a meeting with David. Here's my link. Go ahead and schedule anytime. And we'll actually color code the best times for you to schedule a meeting with me based on, am I going to be on time? And I, am I going to be highly engaged? Because if you have a normal calendar scheduling where they send you a link, it might show a 30-minute slot that I have today. It's the only slot available. That could be the absolute worst slot because I have eight hours and 30 minutes of meetings and you just pick the one slot that I can have a break. I'm not going to be yeah. highly engaged. I'm probably going to be a little bit annoyed. So you don't want that. So, you, hey, wait no. another no. day. And then tomorrow too, this is going to be the best time. And so it gives these subtle nudges to people where you're not giving them all the meeting reports, but you're just taking that attribution and you're saying, let me help you schedule better. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, Okay. Final, final question is a broad question and, you know, read AI. So let's ask the AI question and so kind of get your sense of your broader views around AI. And I'll ask it this way. What are you excited about and what are you concerned about broadly speaking around AI? culturally, et cetera, not just for your business? Yeah, I'd say uh, AI from an adoption standpoint, it's the fastest adopted technology that I've ever seen at scale. Uh, And that goes through, I've gone through the early internet with dial-ups. I've gone when bandwidth started to get up there, uh, mobile devices, app stores, et cetera. And I think there's pros and cons. I think the pros are like, it is showing value that people are adopting it, where uh, my mom is using AI on her day-to-day basis, my uncle is using AI, and they don't adopt anything. And they're going in and saying like, hey, I've heard about this, my friend is using this, this is the value proposition that I get out of it, I'm going to start to do it. And I think that gets me excited to say what's available. I think the hype train is probably going to slow down a little bit for a year or two. And I think that's Mm -hmm. not a concern, but it's something to be aware of where let's say the language models get 50% or 100% better. What does that actually mean? Like, what is the difference mm-hmm. that you're going to see? And it's going to be nominal and more nominal. Like, remember when the first HDD TVs came out and people were like, oh, I can get 360p, I can get 720p, I can get 1080. Now we're at 4,000 pixels. Uh, if and you don't know this. You barely notice the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's yeah, going to yeah. be the next thing. And that's going to be the challenge that we're all going to run into is like, okay, this first wave of adoption is there this first wave of kind of really amazing technology of different models that are out there are going to be widely available and people are going to do cool things. But that next wave is not going to be as fast as it was. Like so the, 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 the gradual increases in effectiveness are going to be less felt and noticed. And Correct. so and you'll see it in more places, but it's yeah. not going to be as big of a jump as you saw the first time, just like with okay. any technology, virtual reality with the Oculus is version two yeah. really that much different from version three? And the answer is like- Yeah, but this one is so much bigger and so much more impactful and it's going to touch so many more. VR, cool, you know, love it, but uh, it's not touching every corner of society the way we expect AI will. And yes. I am just wondering if you, if you think, I mean, you know, do you have fears? I'll just ask it directly. Do you have fears about AI? No. Like, 
You can ask me again in like five years, but I think people who are worried about <laughs> Yeah, I that, wish I had said yes. <laughs> but I would say right now, there's nothing to be afraid of. I think it's more okay. science fiction. But I but I do think down the road, these, these are things that we should be asking. We should be questioning uh, because if we don't ask these questions now, it might be too late down the road. But at the current moment, okay. I, I don't have fears. I think it's more about where can we apply it to get the most value? And then the question mm-hmm. then becomes, what do we do with the time that it frees up? Yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> Spend more, do other work or uh, pick up a hobby. You know, it's kind of up to you, I guess. But exactly. uh, I think we're going to have to end it there, David. This was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. I'm Charles Laughlin. My co-host is Mike Boland. Thanks to today's guest, David Shim of Read AI. You can find the show on all major podcast networks, and you can learn more at Locology.com. Please subscribe, like, and review this podcast. Your engagement really helps others find us. Our producer is Dara Sweat. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.